0: This land that gives us our food, our water, these trees that clean the air for us to breathe, all these green and growing things that bless our bodies with their beauty, these are not resources. They are fellow creatures with their own rights and responsibilities before God. They have their own sacred duties to perform, if only we let them. That quote was from Barbara Brown Taylor, and... I don't know what her religious affiliation is, if any, but I think she misses a a clear and poignant point that God makes in the Bible. Uh, And I'll get into that in just a second. In Genesis 128, God gave instructions to man for stewardship of his creation. It says, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds, and of the heavens, and every over every living thing that moves on the earth. There's been an endless debate over what this means to us in modern times. Scientists have predicted catastrophic climate-related events for as long as man has existed. Contrary to what Barbara Brown Taylor said in, in the quote that I opened with, God clearly meant his creation to be full of resources for its creatures to use to exist, symbiotically, together. Genesis 1.30 states, And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the heavens, and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life. I have given every green plant for food. Good morning and welcome to another glorious day in God's creation. I love saying that to start this podcast and it's never been more perfect for a podcast than this one on care of earth. Um, I wanted to take this specific podcast a little bit further than just talking about how we care for earth. I want to talk about the climate activism that we see all over our world right now. Um, and whether or not it's truly biblical. Um, I think you'll be surprised by the answer. I was a little surprised by my answer as I researched. Um, this again, stems from a discipline spiritual discipline in annette albert calhoun's book spiritual disciplines um the, the desire that albert calhoun notes for this study is to honor the creator by loving nurturing and stewarding his creation do you see in he in in this comment um Albert Calhoun doesn't mention the fact that we're supposed to somehow survive without touching the resources that God gave us or ignoring the fact that they were given to us as resources. Barbara uh, Brown Taylor, I think I said that right. Yeah, Barbara Brown Taylor thinks that mankind should allow creation to thrive unobstructed by man's will. Um, Man subjugates everything to its will and finds ways to profit from the effort. I argue that both are wrong. Just a little bit wrong. All right. God did create the world for man to thrive and created man to steward creation. So it's both, again, right? In Genesis 2.9, if you need some evidence for this, um, "...and out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food." The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of not of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, so clearly God intended the plants for food, right? We can obviously do that without harming the capability to continue to grow plants. Right. All right. Genesis 2, 15 and 16 uh, takes it further. The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. We know it goes on to identify one tree that they shouldn't eat from, but they did anyway. Uh, Genesis 2, 21 continues uh, on with this theme. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. So, the, I don't really suppose that we should assume that God took the skins off of these animals and left them alive with no skin. Okay? So, to claim that we shouldn't eat animals or use their resources is just not biblical. Uh, Leviticus 11.2 Speak to the people of Israel, saying, these are living things that you may eat among all the animals that are on the earth. So in Leviticus, um, God gives instruction through Moses of what could be eaten and what shouldn't be eaten, what was not clean animal and an unclean animal, okay? But that was all abrogated, basically, by Acts 10, 13 through 15, And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time and said, What God has made clean, do not call common. So that changed the rules. There really are no unclean animals anymore. And there were no food animals rules for religious worship anymore under the covenant of jesus right this line of study brought to mind in me a couple of glaring questions right when we're talking about the desire what we're trying to get out of this study um, this is what came to my mind Uh, i'm hoping to answer these questions along with the ones that albert calhoun asks as well uh, because i think they're all important number one How many times did Jesus even mention nature? The loudest activists among us love to put words in the mouth of the Lord. Uh, I'd rather listen to what he actually said, and lucky me, I have access to that every day. Uh, I searched this question online and I was troubled, but far from surprised at the result. I got a link to the Jerusalem Post, the Judaism section, and specifically an art- article about the Eco Bible. It's a kind of a climate activist's Pentateuch, right? And I say Pentateuch because I mean it. It was in the Judaism section, and I specifically mentioned Jesus. So if you think that the secular world either doesn't misunderstand, or I'm sorry, doesn't understand who Jesus was or purposely misrepresents who he was, uh, I, I think you're right. Uh, apparently, Google doesn't know that the Jew, uh, the Jewish faith denies Jesus as the Messiah in God. Uh, that said, they have no problem speaking for God. Quoting from the article, Rabbi Samson Raphael Hirsch makes the first verse in Genesis personal and proactive. He writes that the words teach us to think of the world as God's world and ourselves as creatures of God. I don't think he's wrong there. He goes on to say, we must not destroy the world, but preserve it. Every single creature, every insect, every plant is part of God's world. Woe to those that disturb his world. Hail to those that perceive his world. The closest scripture I could find that actually spoke to Jesus' thoughts on care of earth were in Revelation 11:18, where it is re- revealed to John that, and I quote, The nations were angry, and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your people who revere your name, both great and small. "...and for destroying those who destroy the earth." End quote. Bible Study Tools' website explains the meaning of this in more detail. They say it, the, the meaning is the Antichrist and his followers who destroy the bodies, souls, and estates of men, and not only the inhabitants of earth, but even the earth itself. For though the, that laziness and idleness that they spread wherever they come, a fruitful country is turned into barrenness. Other than that, Jesus doesn't really talk about nature, at least not the nature of earth. He's really always more concerned about the nature of our souls. Um, my second question that I came up with in at the beginning of this study that I wanted to answer through doing this is how would Jesus feel about putting care of earth ahead of care of people? Um, now I, I get that sometimes that can be the same thing, uh, by caring for the earth, aren't we caring for people too? Yes, but we can also care for the earth to the degree that we leave people behind to fend for themselves, unable, to move with the technology or the resources or the ideologies that we, we demand, right? As always, we can count on James to bring a, diff, a difficult topic to a pretty simple conclusion. In James 2.15, it says, quote, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? End quote. I'm going to argue in this podcast that, uh, for example, eliminating fossil fuels before replacing them with affordable, renewable alternatives would remove the possibility of growth in evil, even simple sustenance in the poorest areas of the world that should never be the goal no one should get left behind by the rich countries simply because they are poor we should be challenging our leaders to do better to plan ahead for once and stop and this and stop the now or never, fear mongering that will cause a ripple effect of hopelessness and poverty in much of the world. The definition for the study of care of earth, uh, according to Albert Calhoun caring for the earth is a way of expressing God's delight in his very good creation. By engaging in loving care of the earth, the environment, the plants, and the animals, we honor the gifts and treasures of our Creator. End quote. Albert Calhoun lists some scriptures and many of them I'm gonna cover further on or already have uh, Romans 8 20 to 21 Psalm 24 1 and 2 and Genesis 1 29 31 & two fifteen. I added scripture genesis 128 which i read to you a minute ago and i'm going to focus on parts of it right fill the earth subdue it have dominion over every living thing that moves on earth okay so that's kind of going to be my focus and let's see where that takes us okay the practice of care of earth includes These things, according to Albert Calhoun, all right? First, all actions that lead to making the Earth more and more like God's original Garden of Eden. Okay, I get what she's going for here, but we are not God. We can no more recreate the Garden of Eden than we could create another planet from nothing, as God did, with the entire universe. The Garden was taken from us by our decision to disobey God. Yes, I said our and us. To think that we can put it right by our own efforts is the same as claiming that we can save ourselves with our own works. Clearly, our lives of excess and luxury prove that we would have made the same decision in the place of Adam and Eve. We can make an effort to steward God's creation better. Yes. But we cannot recreate the Garden of Eden. It will be recreated for us at the end. Number two, protecting the Earth's natural resources with a concern for future, future generations and what they will inherit. I agree to, uh, with this to a point, okay? Everything we do has a financial and human cost. Where do you draw this line? There are countries that would cease to be viable if they stopped mining, drilling, or otherwise making themselves economically sound through gathering and marketing the natural resources that are in their land. Does the future of our children, our children in America, supersede the future of their children half a world away? Let's look at a current hot button issue polarizing our country right now, OK? Carbon neutrality and electric vehicles, right? It's we hear about it a lot, right? Um, I do not deny that there's a problem with carbon levels in the atmosphere. They have skyrocketed since the Industrial Revolution, but they have leveled off in the last 30 years as we're paying more attention to it and trying to do something about it. They've even declined in the last 10 years, at least in the US. Probably in most countries in the world, they've declined, at least industrial countries. Uh, The ramifications of the problem are still up for debate. We don't know what the end result is going to be. It's certainly not going to be the world ending in 12 years uh, that like some of our least thoughtful and most emotional leaders want you to believe. If we eliminate the extremes which are, there's nothing to see here, right? The climate deniers uh, and the opposite end of the spectrum. The world is ending in 12 years, people. Uh, We may actually get to the truth. An article on Bloomberg.com said that, Uh, when it comes to electron electric vehicles, every step of making a vehicle's 20,000 to 30,000 parts, which involves several thousand tons of aluminum steel and other materials produces emissions, right? That's not going to stop because we're making electric electric vehicles. That's still going to happen. Um, Battery production and research are powering ahead and sales are growing. That means material emissions are going to rise by more than 60% by 2040 from 18%, which is where it is now. Um, Think about it, right? If we get rid of all of the gas-powered vehicles and replace them with electric vehicles, don't we have to build all those electric vehicles Of course we do, right? So the emissions for creating the materials needed to make the vehicles is going to skyrocket. Now, uh, according to CNBC, the batteries in electric vehicles, for example, charge on power that is coming straight off the electric grid. So we're using fossil fuels to create the electricity to power our electric cars okay which is not sensible and it's not what we're being told either right florian knobloch of the cambridge center for environment energy and natural resource government governance says quote Producing electric vehicles leads to significantly more emissions than producing petrol cars, which is mostly from the battery production. I would argue that that's true, okay? But, now, granted, there is almost no tailpipe emissions, which we have with our gas-powered vehicles, right? So... It's probably a situation where things are going to get worse before they get better. Okay, Um, total emissions per mile for battery powered cars are lower than comparable cars with internal combustion engines. So if you take the full life of the car and you include building it, the materials needed to build it, and you include through tailpipe emissions, right currently the electric vehicles in the u.s on average would emit about 200 grams of co2 per mile of use okay um Knobloch said that we're projecting that with cleaning up the grid we can reduce emissions from electric vehicles by 75 percent from about 200 grams today to about maybe 50 grams of CO2 per mile in 2050, right? And that's according to the, uh, I'm sorry, I looked it up on the EPA to give you a comparison. Hybrids produce about 275 grams uh, per mile, and average gas-powered vehicles are somewhere in the neighborhood of 404 Grams per mile. Okay. So you can see the difference. Um, Gas powered vehicles over their life are about double current electric vehicles. Now, current electric vehicles are supposed to, in some states, replace completely gas powered vehicles by 2030 or 2035. And we're not even going to see the benefit of it for 25 more years, potentially 15 to 20 years, 2050. Okay, so are we on the right course or are we pushing too far too fast and getting the cart well ahead of the horse? Um, The next number three, I believe, uh, was that working against pollution of the air, water and land. Of course we should. We should steward well. But can we afford to tell the poorest people of the world that they can't have electricity because fossil fuels pollute? And they can't afford hundreds of miles of solar panels to be built or windmills or whatever else we're going to replace them with, hydroelectric plants. Um, Climate activists have no answer for this, but China does. Their answer is what they call the Belt and Road Initiative. Okay, now I looked up through the Brookings Institute uh, some basic explanations of what it is. Basically, China loans money to poor countries in Asia, Africa and Europe that don't have the resources to develop power and transport resources and also don't have the resources to mine or gather whatever the resources they have in their country, whether it's oil or diamonds or gold or whatever. Um, One of China's main clients in Africa a majority uh, i'm sorry of the main clients of china and africa the majority of them are now in debt distress or at least high risk of debt distress to china china has has joined other g20 countries in offering poor countries a moratorium on debt servicing during 2020 through the pandemic right but they're not going to do that forever at some point they're going to want what's owed to them in some way shape or form the suspicion is that china will leverage the defaulted loans for land grants or resources native to the land so china has agreed to debt deferment during the pandemic and the aftermath but for how long will that last while it's hard to find evidence of what's being called a quote debt trap diplomacy There are real concerns about the debt sustainability that are relevant for all lenders, right? And we're not really gonna know if this is their ultimate plan until they do it, right? Next is treating animals humanely. Of course we should treat animals humanely, but nothing in the Bible instructs against using animals as food and clothing sources. In fact, I've shown it is quite the opposite. Next. Advocating and practicing crop rotation and soil enhancement rather than land depletion. I'm no farmer, but I'm pretty sure you get bad results if you over farm the land. Any competent farmer would know how to use their land to its best resource. Should our politicians be telling the experts how to run their land? No, but they do. Um, Using energy supplies wisely, recycling, not littering. All great ideas. This would require a thorough definition of the term wisely though, right? Using energy supplies wisely. Is it wise to become indebted to China to be able to afford inconsistent renewable energy when your resources don't allow for that expense? Is it wise to be locking into electric vehicles by 2030 when the technology really won't show carbon neutral capability even close to carbon neutral capability for 10 to 20 more years after that? The, um, it, is it wise to think that the average uh, uh, household even in America can afford two fifty dollars electric vehicles? Yeah, I know Biden could said you could buy it, buy an EV with the savings from not buying gas, but come on, do the math. Even assuming gas gets to $5 a gallon while he's in office, you're spending about uh, maybe a hundred dollars a week on gas between two vehicles. I'm sorry, I'm only uh, accounting for one vehicle. So this gets worse if you spend less than a hundred dollars a week on gas, right? So that if assuming a hundred for round numbers, that's $400 per month per car, a $50,000 loan with a good credit rating of 680 or over, over 72 months, which is six years, is $846 a month. That's more than double what you're paying for gas, and that's at $100 a week. If you're only spending $50 a week on gas, right? That's 200, that's four times what you spend on gas, okay? Even adding in your car payment for a $20,000 car that you're probably driving now, you're still losing Three or four hundred dollars a month. Okay. I've always known that our Democrats, our spendocrats, can't do math. It's not that they can't, they're very intelligent people. They just don't want to do the math because the math doesn't allow them to continue with their na- narrative of spend and spend and spend. Talk about what we're leaving for our future generation. Um, And then last, riding a bike or walking rather than driving a car. This only works in the end game of The Great Reset. And I know a lot of you think that The Great Reset is a boogeyman that we like to scare people with. But look it up. It's real and it's happening. Um, The Great Reset agenda uh ultimate agenda is where everyone is forced back into cities where they can live work and buy all in a five to ten mile radius uh it's the goal of elites to herd us into overpopulated violent cities the world economic forum has no problem saying it out loud for the world to hear i've heard mottos and seen statements from their meetings about you'll own nothing and be happier for it. And that's a direct quote. They actually mean it. And we keep voting for their people as if they don't mean it. I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to move on uh, in this study. Be right back. I am back, and uh, we left off after the first segment. We, the first segment, we tried to define care of Earth and determine what it is and what it isn't. You know what we've made of it and what it really shouldn't be. Um, in this second segment, I want to talk about a little bit more in depth in that. So we're going to start with the God-given fruit that we get from, you know, studying and executing care of the earth. Um, I think the first one that Albert Calhoun mentions is probably the most important. Keeping company with Jesus, no matter what the planet undergoes. Um, I think that's important. And and I know this study is about care of Earth and whether or not climate activism is really care for Earth. Um, But The point is that we can't lose track of Jesus and what Jesus came for uh, in our effort to make the world a better place. I'm not saying we shouldn't do it. We absolutely should uh, try to improve our environment, our surroundings, improve the world for people who can't do it for themselves. Uh, But we've got to stop putting the cart in front of the horse. the goal is to save people the world will end but the people won't if we do the job that jesus left for us to do so keep that in mind throughout this entire study uh, her second god-given fruit was honoring the creator and celebrating his handy work uh, it's why i start every podcast with You know or at somewhere at the beginning my intro is welcome to another glorious day in god's creation because i feel like every day is a gift we're not promised tomorrow so what we do today matters third contributing to the beauty of and mending the brokenness of this planet we can steward well right we can take the resources that god gave us and steward well but Even Jesus did not come here to fix nature and the environment or politics or social justice, right? If he was an activist at all, and I know a lot of people claim he would have been an activist for this and he would have been an activist for that, and everybody wants to believe that Jesus would have been marching next to them with a sign, uh, that's not what he would have been doing. If he was an activist at all, he was a spiritual activist. He was not here to mend our temporary lives or the condition of them, but to grant us eternal lives through faith. Uh, Fourth, sharing God's earth, my yard, the harvest from my garden, my flowers, my property with others. I find it interesting that so many people get so uptight about animals in their yards eating their plants and things like that, right? Even my dog gets mad when he sees other animals in the yard. Uh, I know people who commit an annual wildlife genocide to protect the sanctity of their lawn and garden. I find this disturbing and ridiculous. We have chipmunks, squirrels, rabbits, bats, and occasional possum, birds, of every feather including two families of robins who nest in our house lights every year i refuse to murder these animals who are just trying to survive in their habitat it's one thing to kill for food or resources right um it's an entirely different thing to kill because the rabbit might eat your plants okay that's that to me does not make sense. Uh, next, fifth, I think. Witness, witnessing to Christ through wise stewardship and of our ecological resources. I would love to grow or farm in my retirement. I don't really know how to do it. I wouldn't do it for profit. I would try to do it for personal or community use. Uh, we seem likely to experience some food shortages here coming soon. Uh, that we have never lived through, at least not in my lifetime, Uh, it would be wise to have some personal recourse, right? Some way to sustain yourself. Although I think when it happens, we're going to see just how selfish all of the people who claim to be so tolerant uh, will be when it's you versus them. I think we've already seen it with the whole toilet paper and empty shelves at the grocery store, uh, situation during COVID, people proved that they are exactly who they are, you know, were meant to be, or we were told they were throughout the history of the world, right? People look out for themselves. And when it comes right down to it, a lot of them either never had faith in God or don't have faith in God or don't have the faith they claim they have in God and uh, resort resort to horrific acts of hoarding and selfishness uh, when faced with difficulty. And then the last one is growing in the realization that all created things belong to God and are not ultimately ours. I don't even have anything to add to that because it's, it's well said. Albert Calhoun made some great points in her study about care of earth. Okay, she starts off by talking about how when she was in college, there a group of them would uh, care for the land beside the roads in their town where if you live in America, there's probably trash uh, and was for them as well. And they would clean that up. And um, she makes some good points. Caring for the earth begins where we are with the stuff we have and use and want to get rid of. Do we steward all of our own circle well, okay? Do we recycle? Do we take care of our yard? Do we murder all the animals that eat our grass? Uh, Do we do the things that we should do to keep our circle clean, our community clean, our church clean, She mentions that God has asked us to respect the created order for when we exploit this beautiful world, we harm not just land and animals, but air and air, but ourselves as well, right? We can't live without these resources, so we can't afford to just wantonly kill them off. Uh, They are resources that we need as well to survive. This mindset uh, neglects the truth that this planet does not belong to us, but to God, right? The way that we live, especially in our um, very entitled way of living in America. I mean, we have it pretty good and we don't always act like it. Um, Psalm 95.5 says, The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. This world, according to Albert Calhoun, this world belongs to the Creator, and it is ours only in trust and by divine delegation. Genesis 1.28 and 2.15 recount God's cultural mandate to Adam and Eve, right? It says, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill in the earth and subdue it. The Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it, right? We often forget when we're deep in our climate change agenda, is trust, right? We forget to trust God who created all of this for us, right? We believe that God knew us from before we were born, when we were in the womb. We believe that God knows all of our days. He, he, allows us to make our own decisions but he already knows what those decisions are because he lives in the future as well as in the present and the past so you know but do we act like we trust god in all areas Uh, we panic at least once every decade or two right about climate change about environment about the Earth itself and our impact on it. I remember in the 70s and 80s, they were talking about a second ice age, right? And then in the 90s and the aughts, I guess that's what we call it, the 2000s, it was about global warming, right? And the glaring inaccuracy of the media named coming apocalypse, right? Global warming forced a more encompassing, fear-mongering title for this decade's version which is now climate change, right? Because global warming isn't really accurate. The evidence doesn't show that, so we gotta stop fear with that name. Let's create a new name for, that's fear right? And climate change just seems so out of our control, doesn't it? I mean, it seems almost kind of harmless, the words, but it also seems like, wow, we can't control the climate. So we have to do something to prevent whatever's causing climate change. It it plays right into the narrative of, of, you know, the whole climate justice situation. And I don't know that it's necessary. I think the earth adjusts as we adjust. Should we steward it well? Should we do our best to not pollute our atmosphere? Absolutely. But when we make Progress and we continue to make progress, we should not panic. Right? We continue to panic. We continue, even though we're making progress, and I think we should continue to make progress, we've got to stop panicking over this stuff. We've got to stop panicking our children and turning them into Greta Thunbergs. I'm sorry. I appreciate the girl's uh, uh, desire for a better world for herself, but she is a child of fear, not a child of faith. Some reflection questions that Alberg Calhoun listed for us. One, how does God view the resources that you use? God gave us all of the resources that we would ever need, right? We we cited that in Genesis 1 and 2. God told us to steward those resources that he gave us. This does not mean that the haves of the world, which is us, I, I hate to break it to you, should decide what the have-nots should have access to. Okay? James 2:1 says, show no partiality. We're all equal. Those poverty stricken people in Africa and Asia and even in our own country don't deserve the lives that we're going to leave them when we create this new world of unsustainable, non-affordable change, okay? They're going to get left behind to die. And that's not okay. James 2 6 says, are not the rich, the ones who oppress you? Are we those rich? Are you okay with being the oppressor? We're being accused of being oppressors just because people who shared our skin tone were oppressors 200 years ago. Right? Do you want to make that true now? Do you want to be the people they're protesting against and screaming for reparations against in another hundred years or hundred and fifty? And they're looking back saying, what were these people thinking? Telling everyone how to live. Forcing people to live their way, even when their resources couldn't provide for it. James 2.15 says if a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things they need for the body what good is that i bring that up again because i think that's one of the most important verses for this whole study right we keep telling everybody do better be cleaner live carbon free but there are people in this world that can't They just need basic water, they need food, they need heat, they need cooling, or they'll die. And we're telling them, you can afford to pay more for it. They can't even afford to pay for it at all. But we're okay with making the rules for them. Number two, how does God view your use of natural resources and your due diligence in taking care of the planet? Uh, There's a lot of Christian environmental organizations. Uh, Kelly Mahoney wrote an article called Eight Christian Environmental Organizations on the Learn Religion website. And I'll cite that in the uh, references, as I always do. Um, A couple of them. I'm not going to go through a lot of them, but I want to bring up a couple of them. And you'll see why as I get into it the evangelical environmental network i believe albert calhoun brought this one up in this study as well so it's in her resources as well as my references um it's a pro-life clean energy campaign and i'm quoting from their website relying entirely on clean electricity from renewable resources like wind and solar by 2030. again 2030 do you understand that right now Hydroelectric power power produced from water waterfalls things like that is 7.3 percent of the total us power grid wind is 8.4 percent and solar is 3.3 percent do you understand what that means so in eight years we're gonna go from what is that 16 about 20 percent to 100 it's impossible PV Tech and many other sites um, cited similar numbers quoted or said in quotes, if this trend continues, renewables will provide around one third of U.S. electricity generation by 2030. FERC data confirmed this scenario, showing that if the projected growth rate is sustained over this decade, Renewables will provide approximately 38% of the nation's electricity by 2030, end quote. 38% is the highest estimate I could find by 2030. Yet these organizations are acting as if it's a done deal. And that's in our country. What are they doing in the poorest of countries? Second, plastic pollution was on their agenda. They want us to stop using plastic drinking straws and to politely decline them when out in restaurants. Okay, do that if that's important to you. Um, I don't know how they're ending up in the ocean. Maybe we should be looking into that. Next was methane pollution. All right. This one's a funny one because, right, this is in the Green New Deal where they want to get rid of all the cows and everything because they they have gas. They expel gas and it causes methane to be in the atmosphere. Um, They cite the EPA's uh, new source performance standards, which outlines industry rules for cutting pollution from oil and gas production. But it's Mm -hmm. also produced by creatures right methane nitrous oxide and fluorinated gases amount to about 1.5 billion metric tons and it's been steady since 1990 so it's it's not increased or decreased carbon emissions peaked at six around six billion uh metric tons in 2005 to 2007 but we are currently now at a 30-year low of 4.5 billion metric tons as of 2020 so we are making progress the second one was eco justice ministries um and they talk about well they had four main areas quick tips for administration which handles financing and building issues energy efficiency church offices and these are all basically ways to make your church community more green okay so just so you know the context of this website again i'll cite the resource quick uh the second one was quick tips for education right so teaching kids youth and adults uh beyond the basic classroom but teaching them climate uh, responsibility let's call it okay uh, good things, right? Not not bad things at all. And then the, the next thing, the third thing is quick tips for pastoral care, which I want to focus a little more of. And then the fourth, fourth one is quick tips for worship, which they mean all sorts of worship, sermons, prayers, music, the worship space, special services. That one concerns me a bit because... Are we working climate justice into our Bible, into the songs, into how far do we go with this? Right. Because we know that it's a sin to try to rewrite the Bible, uh, yet doesn't really stop us from reinterpreting it in every crazy way we can think of. Uh, So back to the pastoral care. This is the pastoral and spiritual aspects of an eco justice church. Okay, so first they want to deal with fear, widespread environmental destruction, the globalization of the economy, unresponsiveness in political institutions, direct environmental threats to family health and community stability. That's what they're dealing with. I don't know that they're trying to stop fear. I think they're trying to cause it. I mean, you read that and you sound like the, it sounds like the end of the world is tomorrow. But as Christians, when the end comes, that should be our reward. The second is grief. They wanna deal with grief over genocide and ethnic cleansing, rampaging extinction of species, and global climate change. How we put genocide and ethnic cleansing in the same sentence with global climate change is beyond me, and this is a church or a church organization. I don't understand it. People first. Third is guilt over not being politically active enough on these controversial issues. And fourth, hopelessness and despair. People need to believe that there are options to fear and powerlessness. Pastoral care can provide practical reassurance that change is possible and it can address theological levels of hope that go beyond success stories. Do you see what's glaringly missing in all of this? In both ministries, I I think the eco-justice ministry is off the charts missing the point of the Bible. Uh, I think that the Evangelical Environmental Network it's trying i i get it but they're not being realistic and when we go out there and we have realist unrealistic unattainable goals we're setting ourselves up for failure failure every time right what i can't help but notice is the glaring omission of any mention of the hope of the gospel right is the bible about saving the planet or is the bible about saving People, I think some parts of our church the body of Christ has a cancer in it and it's not just climate justice it's a lot of other issues that we let creep in and block us from doing what we were asked to do okay um, there are others like the American Scientific Aff- affiliation um, I'm not gonna go into detail on that one. Um, I'll I'll include it in the resources uh, and you can look into it yourself. But the point is, we cannot put climate justice ahead of the gospel, period. Number three, how do you feel about environmentalists, developers, animal rights activists, vegetarians, factory farmers, etc.? cetera? What do your hot buttons Re- reveal about your view of dominion. Um, everyone these days falls into one of these categories, I think, or maybe more than one. The problem is, as I see it, is that people who really could be doing something about all of these things on a national scale simply don't. They make pretty statements about climate justice. They, you know, use pretty words like climate justice, right? Who's going to argue against justice, right? Uh, but it's not what it means, right? What they call it is not what it actually means. Uh, they either do nothing, or they tie, or they tie the legislation to something that no one could get behind fiscally, right? Like HR one or the Green New Deal, right? Then everything stalls because we have these good things tied to these atrociously bad things, and nobody can pass them because nobody agrees on the atrociously bad thing right uh some people believe that politicians really aren't interested in solving problems at all and i think that there's some validity to that right because what happens when they solve a problem they need to create a new boogeyman so so that they can polarize us and keep us voting their way right so if the problem continues to exist they have that boogeyman to dangle in front of their base. As far as the church goes, I found some verses that speak to this subject. Um, and some resources. Uh, Kathleen Quiring uh, wrote, What does Jesus have to do with the environment? She cites Colossians 1:19 to 20. God was pleased to have all of this fullness dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. I'm not really sure what this has to do with the environment, except for the promise of a new heaven and earth, right? Um, When Jesus defeated sin and death, he saved humanity, but he also set the stage for the redemption of the world that would one day be transformed for the use of the elect and their king, Jesus. Um, Quiring also says that in Mark, or quotes Mark 16, 15, uh, where Jesus tells his disciples to go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation, right? I feel like this is just a descriptive to show that all are eligible to be saved. I do not think that we're to evangelize to nature and the animals, Okay, that's not the point. She also asserts that in his letter to the Romans that Paul says the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in in, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time right? That's Romans 8, 21 and 22. This scripture is more evidence that Jesus's work on the cross in defeating sin and death also released the earth from the curse inflicted during the fall of man, right? The curse of death, bondage to decay in that scripture, and the groaning of the earth, the pains of childbirth in that scripture, were both mentioned in Genesis 3 as curses when Adam and Eve ate from the tree, right? And then finally, in Christ's future kingdom, the rest of creation will be transformed into a new earth, which is Revelations 21.1. The new earth will be perfected by the effort of Jesus on the cross. Clearly, the expectation is that the condition of the world would decline much in the same way that man's condition declined through the effect of sin, right? In the Bible, early men lived nearly a thousand years. And that declined consistently as sin grew, right? Medical science has mitigated this to an extent, right? We we live longer now than we did I think it's over 70 years now, 74, something like that, 75, I don't know exactly, but in the 1800s, the average lifespan was 25 to 30, and in the 1900s, it got up to 30 to 35, and now we're in the 70s, so medical science has mitigated this to a certain extent, but we're never going to get to the point where we're going to live a 1,000 years again until the new earth. So I'm going to take another quick break and then we'll finish up with a couple or more um, questions, reflection questions, and then we'll move on to some uh, spiritual exercises and then I'll give you some resources. We'll be right back to wrap it up. All right, I am back. And uh, we started the podcast in the first segment trying to define what Care of Earth is and maybe what it's not, and maybe a little bit about what the whole climate change agenda is and what it is not. Um, And then the second segment, we talked a little bit about what uh, Albert Calhoun describes as... Uh, care of Earth and then talked about some uh, questions that you know reflection questions about you know how does God see this topic how how does the Bible say that God sees this topic not just me or Albert Calhoun or any other scientists or theologians or philosophers how does the Bible say God sees? care of earth Um, and then uh, we left off with a couple more reflection questions to go Uh, we'll start there Uh, number four is where have you taken for granted God's good gifts in this world who goes without these gifts this is about the haves and the have-nots right the world has 7 billion plus people on it and I don't know exactly how many, but I'd say uh, close to half maybe or more uh, live without the luxuries of our basic necessities even. Not even luxuries. I mean, we here in America, we, we think we know what having it bad is and some people in our country do. There are homeless people, there are veterans that are homeless, which is horrific to me that we don't even take care of those people, right? The people who protected us, who put their lives on the line for us, and we don't, we can't be bothered to take care of them, yet we spend billions on other stuff, right? Uh, Congress just voted themselves another pay hike during massive inflation for the rest of us right so we have our problems in our country but we're still in the top 10% of the world in wealth right if you're even living above the poverty line in America you are among probably the top 20% in the world in wealth that's absolutely horrifying right so i think this is the basis for all disagreement over climate change environmental issues and resource management right i honestly don't think anyone believes we should be irresponsible with the environment unless they're directly profiting from that abuse right companies who pollute the atmosphere because they make money from what they're doing that causes the pollution so they probably have a sliding scale for what's acceptable compared to the rest of us, right? Average people, believers or non-believers, fall into two categories, right? One, they're people that want to do something about it regardless of the cost, right? That's the climate change agenda people, right? Um, The ones that everything you bring up, it's, it's affecting climate change. Racism is climate change, you know, government is climate change education is climate change right what we eat is climate change everything okay number two are people who want to do something about it that is fiscally responsible okay um our government media and business leaders should be coming up with practical responsible attainable solutions that we can all get behind, instead of fear-mongering to get us to agree to crisis solutions that are unrealistic, fiscally irresponsible, and leave the poverty-stricken of the world worse off than they were. Number five, what is God asking of you? So, it's uh, Albert Calhoun suggests that we journal a response, maybe add to it over time. I would recommend that even maybe study a little bit, read some articles, go to, you know, government websites that that actually tell you what the data says instead of CNN telling you what the government wants you to believe the data says, okay? There's a difference, and they count on the fact that most Americans will not research for themselves, right? The pandemic, COVID, is a great example of that, right? They're on TV talking about how safe the vaccines are, yet the data doesn't show that, right? They tell you how necessary masking is, even for children, yet the data doesn't prove that. It's the opposite. Okay, Um, they they tell us one thing, hoping that we're not either smart enough, which they think we're not smart enough. We are. We're just lazy. We we we're busy and we just don't want to take the time to figure things out for ourselves. We want to be able to trust our news agencies. And there was a time when we could. But now they're not news agencies anymore. They just spread propaganda, whatever propaganda that their leadership aligns with politically. Okay, it's as simple as that. So what is God asking of you? Listen and journal a response. What I would recommend here is that what God is asking of me changes from time to time. But there are a few things that remain the same, right? I'm going to list my current three, but I'm not going to delve deeply into them today. That's between me and God. You determine what yours are, what God is telling you to do about this. And then, you know, you can add the detail to those yourself, right? This podcast is long enough as it is, as I'm sure you're all aware. uh, And I'm sure if you're, you've been listening and continue to, You'll get all the details of my life eventually, okay? There's really very little I withhold. Um, So at some point, you're probably going to hear about it if you're listening to this podcast. So my my three, in no specific order, well, yeah, I guess they are in specific order, okay? One is share the gospel of Christ with anyone who will listen. I'll probably share it with a few people who don't want to listen, too. Um, but that's going to be up to them. That's their choice, right? Number two, find a way to be closer to my kids. This is not easy right now. Okay. Um, there are issues in all families. There are issues I created. There are issues I didn't create. And there are issues that I'm not even sure what they are right now. But my goal is to find out. And do whatever it takes to fix them so that I can have a deeper, closer relationship with my kids as soon as possible. Because every day lost is a day wasted without them. Okay? Again, remember what my first priority is. I'm sorry to those of you who know me, love me, family, friends. God comes first. If God doesn't come first, then I have no scale by which to know how much I love the rest of you, right? God gives me that objective morality, that objective scale that tells me what it means to love. If I can love you even a fraction of the amount that God loves you, then I feel like I'm doing a pretty good job. So... Don't judge me when I say that God in the gospel comes before my kids because God in the gospel for my kids also comes before my kids. Okay. I love them. I want them in my life, uh, but I want them saved first. Okay. Third help kids lost in the foster care system to heal and find families that they have always deserved and never had. So those are my big three right now. Uh, I, You can judge me for my order, you can judge me for whatever, but God has to be first in all of it. God is first in, in the way I want my relationship to be with my kids. God is first in the relationships that i have with kids in the foster care system through house of providence and if god wasn't first then i would have no credibility with them and i hope and i pray and uh, that i do have credibility with them because i do love every one of them i i would jump in front of a bus for them if that was what it took to get them a family they deserve it they're wonderful, beautiful, smart, intelligent children that deserve better than the life that they were given. Uh, They will have it one day, like we all will in heaven, but I'm concerned more about their today. So next, we're going to talk about some spiritual exercises that Albert Calhoun uh, suggested. First, plan a way to make the earth more beautiful plant flowers in the inner city or around a school sponsor or take care of a stretch of road, work to remove billboards, share your motivation with others, plant a garden, share produce or plants with others, invite children to play in your yard, teach a child how to garden, teach a child, or take a child on a nature walk and point out how good the environment is. Um, Maybe become familiar with uh sorry i got a little off track there going through a few of these at once um before i go on to number four become familiar i want to go back to number three for a second uh and link it to what i was talking about about these kids in the foster care system house of providence is a um a not-for-profit residential home a therapeutic residential home our goal is to heal help kids heal from the trauma that they've known that maybe all they've known and help them to uh heal so that they're ready to be part of a family again and and the model works there are children every year that are able to heal and get a new home with a new family and is it perfect no is it perfect for them absolutely I believe that it is okay because these kids were not meant to live in the rest of their youth till 18 in in a residential they're just not okay so how does this play in Uh, this one number three talked about teaching a child how to garden or taking them on a nature walk your connection to, to a child in foster care doesn't have to be adoption. It can be fostering on short-term basis or longer-term basis. It can even be just mentoring kids that are in a residential so that they have some semblance of normalcy in their lives. But keep in mind, if you commit to teaching kids how to garden throughout the summer months in Michigan, which is pretty darn short, and you go out there every Saturday uh, for a couple hours and you help them with their garden at the girl's house or at the boy's house or wherever, right? You have to commit to doing that consistently because inconsistency is all they've known. So if you're going to come once and not show up for three months, then don't. Okay. do something else. Go volunteer at the church who needs help gardening in the spring and the fall, if that's all you can commit to. And that's awesome. Do that. But if you commit to these kids, commit, be there. If you say once a month, be there once a month like clockwork. If you say every other week, then do that. We have people that come and cook for them once a month. We have people that bring uh, dogs to visit with them I think that's every week we have people that come in and tutor them or play games with them or whatever. Uh, you can do that. But two things, one, I just said, commit and do it. And two be flexible about your schedule. Their schedule is not flexible. So you can't just say, Oh, I can be there every Thursday at 8 PM. Well, half of them are in bed by then. Okay. And, not necessarily asleep, it might not be lights out time, but they need to be in bed, they need to be winding down, they need to be getting ready for sleep, they're getting told a story, they're, you know, things like that, they're listening to calming music so that they can sleep at night, okay? So we cannot disrupt their entire schedule because that's what works for you. There is something for you to do to help, but it's gotta be within the confines of their healing environment. Okay, I hope you would understand that, uh, that it's about them. So number four, become familiar with some part of our distressed environment. Do a web search on the environment and you will find dozens of ways to participate in good stewardship of the earth. Commit yourself to stewardship of some earthly resource, even around your own home. And again, be careful because even in just this podcast, I've pointed out several websites that have unrealistic demands and unattainable goals, okay? At least with current technology and current standards, we can't do that. But we can do what we can do, right? We can live cleaner, we can recycle, we can drive less, we can... Instead of taking drives on the weekends, we can ride a bike. You may want to do that anyway with gas quickly approaching $5 a gallon in uh, Michigan. And it's going to get worse because we're depleting our national reserve. So once that's gone, the price is going to jump again. Um, Recycle, use cosmetics that aren't tested on animals. Every little bit helps and if 7 billion people worked in unison imagine what we could Accomplish instead of making high and lofty goals that leave 4 billion of the 7 billion behind Okay Six take a resource walk Thank God for Sheep who give you wool or cows who give you milk or trees that give you furniture I I, work in a beautiful location it's in the woods in oxford michigan and that's where the girl's home is and my office is there and every day i drive by uh horses a a stable that has horses running around and i there's i don't know 20 or 30 cows on one farm and you know a bunch more cows on another farm and i get to see them every day and it's beautiful um it does uh, she does recommend uh Number seven, taking a walk through God's world. What are the characteristics of God that are revealed in earthly beauty? Just look at a tree and imagine the number of molecules in it that all had to be put together in in a specific way for it to live and thrive in our world, right? Not only does it live and thrive in our world, but it makes our world better, right? Because. It is symbiotic in a way with us, right? Because we breathe in oxygen and release uh, carbon dioxide. They breathe in carbon dioxide and release oxygen. So we're working together in this world, right? So think about that. Journal your discoveries and what you see and what's beautiful to you today. Number eight, become conscious of the litter in the places that you live and work organize an hour a morning to help volunteers pick up litter, clean up the street in your own neighborhood, whatever it takes, right? Um, So here we are. We're back at where we started in Genesis 128, right? Where God gave us his first instructions about our use and stewardship of his creation. It says, I'll repeat, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every little living thing that moves on the earth. So I'm going to break that down, and this will be just about the end of the podcast, so bear with me. So first, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. The fear of the secular world about resources and overpopulation stems directly from lack of faith. They clearly don't know God. They don't trust that his creation can adapt to support growth. I'm not saying that we should be wasteful. The Bible often speaks against it. For example, Proverbs 18:9, Whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys. John 6:12, And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. But what we often forget or refuse to accept is that God is ultimately in control. Look at Psalm 107, 33 to 35. It confirms God's ultimate control. He, it says he turns, I'm sorry. He turned rivers into a desert, flowing springs into thirsty ground and fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who live there. He turned the desert into pools of water and parched ground into flowing springs. Part two of that scripture is subdue the earth, right? Subdue is defined as conquer, get the better of, overcome, quash, quell, subjugate, and master. And haven't we? We live longer, generally healthier lives. We do more with the environment around us. We use the resources better than we ever have. Could we do better? Absolutely. Could We, we could definitely do better in helping lift up people in po- poverty-stricken countries. And let's be f- clear here, nobody does this better than Christians, right? We're all over the world helping people, helping them farm, helping them learn to irrigate, helping them build buildings that they need, whatever they need, all for the opportunity to connect with them in a meaningful way and share the gospel message with them, right? Of course, that's true, right? That we should help these poverty-stricken countries, But the answer for keeping the least of these in step with the elites is not going to be carried out by making basic necessities like water, food, and power so expensive that that those in poverty would have to subjugate themselves to foreign powers to even survive, like the Chinese One Belt, One Road Initiative that we discussed earlier in the podcast, right? These things are happening around the world just because this might be the first time you're hearing about it on this podcast or a different podcast, doesn't mean that it's conspiracy theory or it's not happening. It's real, look it up. Have dominion, third, have dominion over the creatures, right? Dominion is defined as supremacy or dominance, superiority, authority, mastery again, control, command, and government over something, right? I think the most glaring thing that the leadership of the countries around the world has lost over time is the responsibility involved in governing. What do I mean by that? When you agree to govern a people, you become responsible for their well-being. You stop speaking for yourself and you agree to advocate for all of them, right? Isn't that exactly what our politicians do while they're on the campaign trail? Funny how quickly they forget all those promises they made to us, the people who elected them, but they fulfill all the promises of the rich, wealthy elites and corporations that funded their campaign. Funny how that works. The fact that citizens feel the need to form groups and even sometimes radical groups to be heard shows a great failure in our government. I don't feel represented. Do you? I don't think any Christian should feel represented by our government these days or any government in the world, except maybe Turkey. Viktor Orban seems to be doing something right and the media hates him. So we should probably take a look at what he's doing. We should each live a life that shows the responsibility we have over nature, creatures, and each other. If we simply do the things that Jesus asked of us in Matthew 22, 37 to 40, we'd all be so much better off. It goes, quote, and he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and prophets, right? You shall, and and that's an end quote, you shall love your neighbor as yourself does not mean that you should determine what is best for your neighbor. That's not what it means. Do you hear me, BLM? Do you hear me, Antifa? Do you hear me, Republicans? Do you hear me, Democrats? Telling people how they should live despite their argument against the need for your help is oppression. Think about it. To accomplish this, maybe we should run our arguments with each other through the filter that Paul gave us in Romans 14, 1 through 23. As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats uh, despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days are alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Do you want to know what that scripture tells me? That tells me something that a theologian once said who has since fallen, fallen from grace. And you may know him from the quote, I'm not going to mention his name because I don't want to enrage people, but he's not wrong. The reason that there are so many denominations of the Catholic and Christian faiths is because we can't agree on much as humans. Okay. What this theologian or philosopher, whatever you want to call him, said was that we should major in the majors and not major in the minors, right? Things like which day we eat meat and things like that. That's fine. That's your tradition, your ritual, your denominations thing. I get it, but it does not save you. The only thing that saves you is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So if we all agree on that, we should at least be civil to each other and not pass judgment on each other because you don't eat meat on Friday. And I do. Okay. Simple. The bottom line here is determined by just a few things. One, do you trust God in his plan? And do you live like you do? Right? Two, do you think you should thrive at the expense of others? If so, who chooses, who thrives, and who dies? 3. What is your priority? Do you prioritize saving the temporal planet? Or are you more concerned with the eternal salvation of people and souls? I think we can dis- uh, can focus on the spreading of the gospel while we use good Godly judgment, not human judgment, to steward the resources we were given. I am all for leaving the planet in a better condition for future generations. In the words of Mark 8.36, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? I don't think that could be any more pointed toward care of Earth or climate change in the secular world than how it's said in Mark 8:36. What does it profit us to gain the world and lose our souls? If that doesn't make this all clear to you, nothing I can ever say will. I'll end with one last piece of advice. If you really want to be a warrior of light, don't be a social justice warrior. Be a spiritual justice warrior. Some resources that Albert Calhoun listed are uh, The Environment and the Christian by Calvin DeWitt. I'm sorry, Calvin DeWitt Green. Revolution by Ben Lowe. Redeeming Creation, The Biblical Basis for Environmental Stewardship by Fred Van Dyke. David C. Mahan, Joseph K. Sheldon, and Raymond H. Brand. Under the Bright Wings by Peter Harris. And, of course, Adele, Albert Calhoun's own Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. The rest of the references, and there's a pretty long list this week. uh, Sorry, guys. I am back. I got cut off there at the end. Uh, Not sure what happened there. But I did not want to leave without telling you that I'm praying for you. Uh, I hope that you're praying for me. I know some of you are probably out there struggling with various things in your lives right now. Uh, Know that God is good and that God is faithful, uh, that we don't always get the answer that we want, uh, but we get the answer that we need. Uh, I pray that, that you're strong in your faith and that you're studying and that you're learning and that you're delving into it every day a, a, every a day without the Bible is a missed opportunity to be closer to our Lord. so I pray that you do that. I pray that uh, you pray for each other, pray with each other uh, meet in groups uh, support each other and uh, get the word of the gospel out because the bottom line here with this study is that the gospel is greater than everything right? Everything else in the world we can deal with. We're smart. We're intelligent. We we grow and develop technology that makes our lives better. Um, but again, what good is it to have the world and lose our souls? Uh, so the gospel is first. Uh, the rest of the problems of the world we can solve together. Uh, and that's, that's it, guys. Uh, I will see you probably in a week. Maybe uh, I know this one was a little late. Uh, we had a little bit of a bug going through the house and I kind of got quarantined away from my computer. So I couldn't record this or the end of it. Um, so I, the, the next one is just about done. Uh, I'm not going to go into what it's about. Uh, it's probably a little more political than I've been in, in a few, uh, well, a couple years since the election. Um, but it's directed straight at Christians with biblical backing, okay? There's a lot of political strife going on in the world. Uh, We can do better, uh, especially as Christians and as the body of Christ. So we're going to talk about that next week and how we navigate this weird world we're living in a little bit better. All right. I love you guys. I will see you very soon. Until then, rise up.